Hey y'all, I'm Megan Lee. And I'm Liz Gray. And this is Strictly Sapphic. A podcast about sapphic art. And your mom. Always your mom. Get into it. Welcome back to Strictly Sapphic. It is Liz here uh, with you today. Macon is off doing professor things, but it's okay because it's actually uh, kind of appropriate that I'm the one doing this intro because y'all are about to go to church with me. Y'all are about to... um watch in not real time because it's previously recorded, but you'll, you are going to witness my dreams come true. Um, you already know who's on the show because you've read the title, but y'all, JJ Arias (laughs) is my Lord and Savior. I am obsessed with everything that I have read of hers, but after this conversation, Even more so, I'm like, be my friend, be my mentor, adopt me maybe? Is that weird as I am a 30-year-old woman? I don't care. Um, Y'all, it's just a really good conversation. It is our longest episode yet, but I will say it is all worth it. She's an incredibly intelligent and insightful human being. Um, I hope she comes back. And why the hell am I still talking? Let's get into it. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Strictly Traffic and the Pod Fort. Today is a day that needs... (laughs) It it is factually a a day, day. But... Will go down in history. Mm, greatest moments of my life. It's pretty high up there. <laughs> pretty, it's pretty high, high up, up there. Yeah. Um, I'm freaking out inside and outside. Fully sweating. Correct. I've <laughs> had way too much caffeine, so y'all are in for a, a treat, a ride, a journey. The brilliant, the brilliant, brilliant. JJ Arias is with us in the pod for. <laughs> Y'all are going to make me blush. I mean, if we do our job right, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, it would be very small payback towards the reactions you've given us over the books. So, Mm. I mean. Very happy to be in the pod for it. Thank you for having me. This is a dream. This is unreal. For real, though, when we were like sitting down to think about artists, we really were like, we have to have on the show or like would be like dream guests. You were right at the top of that so seriously thank you so much for for joining us yeah Yeah. absolutely thank you for the opportunity i'm so excited to talk to you guys yes um i know we talked a little bit about it beforehand but i'm gonna try my very best not to talk at you and just tell you how amazing (laughs) i think you are and like try to be professional and ask some thoughtful questions um i'm not going luckily professor macon has notes and i'm just going off of vibes i'm going off of feelings (laughs) <laughs> oh, this is gonna be awesome yeah jj before we get started 
That was so serious. I am I shifting into serious oh, okay. podcaster mode. You just oh. said we were going to be serious. <laughs> Sorry. You yes. just said that. I'm going off of... Exactly. I'm A student, baby. Fall in direction. We're going to behave. We're going to behave. We are mm-hmm. certainly not. Um, <laughs> but JJ, before we jump into, again, it's going to get weird. Um, why don't you tell people who you are about your art? Let people who might not know who you are introduce yourself. Yeah. Um, so JJ Arias is my pen name. And I write a sapphic romance. I like to say with a Hispanic twist, you know, it's kind of a Miami. I'm Cuban American and that kind of factors into all of my stories, you know, to varying degrees. Sometimes it's really like the core of the story. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just like a sprinkle, Um, just kind of, you know, no intention behind that. It just, but always in some kind of um, expression, I feel like it comes out. Um, what else? How did I'm a Scorpio? You, oh, oh, oh okay. sorry. Oh, Scorpio. That I'm sorry is for all the good. Scorpios that have hurt you. I'm a nice one. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think. Have I had any negative? Have you had any negative experience with Scorpios? I'm a Libra. I don't have negative experiences with oh, other signs. Okay. Well, it's we're true. both water, right? Good, ex- yep. I don't know much about, okay, give me like the elevator pitch for Scorpios. Why do they have such a bad rap? Okay. <laughs> Let me defend Scorpios for a minute. I'm Thank not going to make the Scorpio defend this. So Thank you. <laughs> Scorpios are probably like the lowest bullshit sign. Like they just don't mm. want your bullshit. Okay. And to some people who are made of feelings. Me? Um, many signs. It can come across as like harsh or critical, but really it's just like, I really don't have time for your bullshit. Okay. And so, and I appreciate that about a Scorpio. Also, they're very discerning. So they have like this no bullshit thing with this very discerning element. So they spend a lot of their time being like, why are you lying to me? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I don't need you to lie to me. You, you can be weird. I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Mm. And, and we're very loyal. Mm. So it's very like loyal. When, once we're with you, we're mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. So very protective, good friends. Mm-hmm. But um, we're also from, secretive and jealous and competitive. So, okay. and coming from one of the um, least honorable sign groups as a Libra, because um, <laughs> we want you to like us so bad, we'll do anything. <laughs> um, Scorpios, I like a very noble sign. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah they sound, called that. They sound great. Yeah, I like that. All right. Um, Go ahead. I'll take that. Love it. Okay. Now we know all the things we need to know. <laughs> yeah. Scorpioness now makes some of these things that I was going to ask make a lot more sense. Make up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, um, I try. I try to see things from other points of view. I swear. <laughs> um, so one of the first questions I'd like to ask, and I am really interested in this with you, is when did you realize you were a writer? Like, when did you realize you were a person that was going to tell stories? So I think very similar to you, Megan, I just always did. And it wasn't like um, something I chose. You know, I just kind of always told myself stories um, before bed, uh, when I was bored, you know, because like we didn't have tablets and things. So we just like sitting in the back of the car (laughs) and my grandma would put whatever she wanted on the radio, which I did not want to listen to. So you just start to tell yourself stories. I read Mm. a lot. My mom, um, especially, is a huge reader. Mm-hmm. So I read so much. And anything, like, 
you know, some people are like, oh, I read only whatever. I literally read absolutely everything. I read metaphysical books because she's into that. I read a ton of like trashy romance. I read just like anything and everything, women's fiction, memoir, whatever. Um, basically, after she read it, I'd read it, even little, you know. Huh. Um, so I think just store, you start to consume so much story and you start to play it for yourself. Um, and I don't think I intentionally made the characters like myself in the sense that I was like, well, I'm reading stories usually white centric, always straight centric. But um, I think we naturally, when we start telling stories, start telling stories about ourselves. And so they just happen to reflect who we are. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize until much later that, oh, I'm not in any of these stories. Do you know, Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. hundred percent. Yes, indeed it does. Well, I mean, I'm a white lady, so no. But I do intellectually well, on the queer side on the of queer things. side. Yeah. 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 yeah um, and that's the thing. I think very few people are represented by mm-hmm. what we consume. That's why I always tell, you know, people reach out sometimes and they're like, oh, I want to write, but I don't know. I don't think I have anything special to say. It's like, you do. Mm. Whatever, whatever your thing is, I bet you is not represented in sort of like mainstream kind of media. Cause I mm-hmm. think things are very sanitized. And I don't mean that in like a, like a bad way, but just, you know, like it's a very broad strokes kind of thing that we do. And you grew up in a small town. That's something special. That's different. You know, you grew up in a city, you grew up, whatever it is. Um, so we all have something that we're not seeing reflected. Right. And then obviously as queer people, even more so, but not necessarily. Everyone has something, uh, the way your family dynamic is, is not yeah. going to be like someone else's. All these things that are kind of special that everybody brings that voice to what, how they see the world and how they see problems to solve, which is what stories are, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something interesting in that is that I think, well, I know, because I am so aware of my privilege, I'm very quick to be like, not me. I'm not different. I am right in the middle of the road. And it really, it really is really a great reminder to be like, no, there are mm-hmm. things about me that are diverse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really interesting reminder. Which is yeah. why, like, read diverse books. Oh, my gosh. Because even if you're like, well, this isn't my flavor of diverse or this isn't my category, it's still, you know, supporting but also immersing yourself in art and, like, experiencing other lives through that, which I think is a beautiful way to do it. I think it's probably, the mo- like, one of the most effective ways that we have and that's reading. That is, yeah. you know, that is consuming stories. I think when I kind of have like a love hate relationship with like encouraging people to read diverse because then it sounds like homework. And I think there's mm-hmm. some kind of natural resistance we have that doesn't come from a place of bias or prejudice, but we have a natural resistance to things that are different than what we already do. Whatever yeah. that thing is, like you said, whatever your flavor of diversity, step outside of that and try something different. Mm-hmm. If you read sapphic, you've never read, read a gay male romance, try that. If you've, you know, and it's like, you're going to realize that the core of the story doesn't change. The lens yeah. changes. And good stories are told all across hundreds of thousands of different lenses. But you just try, I think it's like if you didn't, if it was easier, I think, for things to fall in front of you. But usually we find things that are like the things we already like, you uh-huh. know, 100%. Like, right. And you don't know what is the thing to try outside of that. It feels daunting. This is supposed to be for entertainment. This is an escapist. So then it feels like too much. You know, I think that's why it's great when like book talkers, 
um, uh, you know, all people who have influence find mm-hmm. something they like and recommend it. Mm-hmm. And like that, you try different things without thinking about it being like, oh, this is a Hispanic author or Latina, you know, how people use different terms, whatever everybody's comfortable with. Um, here, I'm not reading this story because this person is writing it. It's just like, oh, mm-hmm. it's a good story. Mm-hmm. And then you tell me it's a good story and then I'll try it. You know, it it doesn't have to have the kind of, does that make sense? Make Absolutely. Sense? Well, yes. And I do think that that's like something that I am very aware of is like, I never want, so I'm a person that my favorite thing in the world to do is to tell you about a book I just read. My favorite thing in the mm-hmm. world to do. I want to tell you about this book I read and I'm going to try to convince you to read it too because I want someone to talk to about it. Yeah. Um, and one of the things you, like, it's really important that I always try to do is like never make it seem like homework. Yes. Because, exactly. because I think that a lot of people end up, especially in their twenties, which is like such a rich time for like developing as a person being like, I'm not a reader. Fuck that. Because th- their associations with reading is homework. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, I'm always like, this is a great read. This is hot. This is fun. It's going to make you a better person. But it's mostly hot and fun that'll make you a better person. But mostly it's hot and fun. You're hiding the vegetables. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Covering them in cheese. Covering. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. an excellent way to put it. <laughs> so this is just like. I'm just curious. Do you remember your first romance novel? Do you remember the first, like, not sapphic romance novel, but just straight up first romance novel you read? Oh, I don't. I bet you it was, like, Nora Roberts. My first romance novel was my mom, <laughs> one of my mom's yeah, Nora Roberts novels. Because she that's was so, what she read. She was yeah. so tired of taking me to, like, the library and the bookstore. And I had, like, burnt through all my books. And she had this huge stack of novels in her closet. And she was like, just read this one. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, it was like her, um, dance upon the air, like that trilogy. Uh-huh. And it was like the first time I read romance and I was like, oh, this is for my brain. This is very good. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think you thought about it. It's like, this is straight or this is, you just, it's the story that you, you fall for. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I wonder, Absolutely. I can't remember what it would have been, but it definitely would have been a Nora Roberts where they fade to black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nora. She's great, though. She's a damn good writer. Such a good writer. Mm-hmm. Her story sense, like her ability to tell a story, is unreal. Like, she's written hundreds of books, and she's one of the few writers, especially after she started write, stopped writing category, mm-hmm. where, like, all her books feel different. Yeah. That's hard to do. So hard. Yeah. Oh, she's so good. Nora Roberts, pour one out. Hope, <laughs> hope your bookstore's doing well. I, uh, listeners, I've just been kind of smiling and nodding this whole time. I just barely started reading last year. <laughs> Do you Fully remember your first book? Uh, yeah. Okay. So my, uh, gateway drug into this world, uh, Meryl Wilsner. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Mistakes were made. Oh, and, super recent. Yeah. So brand new baby into this. So like having these conversations, I learn what things are i learn what the word trope means all of this stuff so i'll try to explain something to megan be like i like when this happens she goes oh yeah it's a trope i'm like yes yes more yes Uh uh-huh how do i find said (laughs) so it's been great um becoming besties with like a full-on sapphic romance encyclopedia who can just filter things and give them to me yeah. Or sometimes, like, I'll recommend a book, and my recommendation will be, okay, this is not that hot. 
Like, I like straight up have to tell her, I'm like, okay, this is really good. It doesn't have as much sex as you want it to. Right. Or it started just, with like a real spicy read. Okay. Yes. So Correct. That's, that's an expectation. It did. It set a yeah. bar, which I will say, I know that I created the sticker too horny for slow burns, but it doesn't mean I don't read them. It, it just means like that them. I get frustrated. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoy, yeah. like, I enjoy a story. Uh, if it's a good story, whether or not there's sex, but I do enjoy the sex scenes. Amen. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's a horny, pro horny podcast. Pro horny pod. <laughs> Hashtag. Hashtag. Yes. Um, I read or heard, I cannot remember one that, did you start out writing fan fiction? I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So did. can you, so so many authors that I really admire, like have fan fiction roots. Which I am just learning, and I never realized that was... I mean, I knew of it. I know what it is. But, like, the fact that so many authors got their start in that world. And I think it might be particular to queer or, like, Mm -hmm. authors. Because even the authors I know who write, like, MF romance that are queer also started, like... I'm thinking, like, Allie Hazelwood is an example. um, That started in fan fiction. And I think because for a long time... The place to find queer stories was fan fiction. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, hmm. So I have this theory that the best MFA you can get if you want to be a romance novelist is to simply start writing fan fiction. Yes, I agree with that. I co-sign your. What's theory. an MFA? It's a Master of Fine Arts. It's like the degree that you get if you want to be a, a if you want to spend money. To do a thing you don't have to spend money to do. Okay. You can get an MFA. Okay. Um, and for some people it works. For other people, don't yeah. go into debt if you don't have to. I know. That's a whole other thing. I know. Uh, but um, some people I think like the validation of something to show for it. We think we have to. You're not an author if you don't have something to show for it, if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Also, I'm a person with an a terminal degree. Like I'm not out here saying don't go to grad school. I did as much of it as you can do in the thing. Oh, that me I too. Do. I love school. Yeah. I'd still be in school today. Right. The other yeah. day I was like, ugh, I'm kind of um fine with what I'm doing, but it's not my passion. What if I went and got a doctorate in philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> like I just Why not? That, right? I just had that. Yeah. Thought. Um okay. So but here's my question around fan fiction. Mm-hmm. Um one, I want to know what you wrote about just because I'm curious, but two, oh, yeah. um in terms of like writing fan fiction, what do you think were like the most helpful things that you bring to being a romance author? Yes. Um, so I wrote Once Upon a Time fan fiction. Fuck yes. Yes, you did. Oh my gosh. I just fell yeah. deeper in love with you. I, listen, she, they have my heart. Mm. They toyed with us that show and I could not continue watching it. But what season did was, you stop? Okay. I definitely made it through the second season. And I think I stopped at the beginning of the third. That's the I correct think answer. I rage quit. Yep. That's I got the correct real answer. mad. Never went back. Yep. Same. Um, and it's funny because I wrote a lot of alternative universe fan fiction. So it was really, I just loved these two women specifically. They were so great and I wanted them to be together. Just like when you played with your Barbies in your room and, you know, mashed them together and didn't know <laughs> quite why they were doing scissor kicks together. It was kind of like that. You're just like, these two things have to go together. Um, I I just love them. And I would have, I think I also, I didn't have the courage to do it, but I would have written for Skins. Okay. The, uh, UK version? The UK version. 
I think I would have because I read a ton of that. That was my gateway into fact fan fiction um, because I also had never thought about fanfic. I don't know. I just I didn't think it was something for me, right? I thought of like Star Trek or Star mm. Wars or something that I wasn't in that fandom. And it just mm-hmm. never, I don't know, it never occurred to me. And do you remember After Ellen, the website? I think yes. It's like now not a thing. Or oh my weird God. happened there. Yeah. I was going to reference that in the first episode. And I was like, no one has preserved it probably. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I do. And they started covering Skins, the mm. show. And I want to say it was Heather Hogan, if I'm not mistaken, was the person covering it, but don't quote me. And she just made a passing reference to like the Skins fan fiction that she had found that was great. And I was just like, what is this? This is what I want to see on the TV, but they're not doing. But these people are writing amazing stories, like really good, engaging stories that are like a 100,000 words which is just incre- for nothing, for free, for people to enjoy. And I think what I learned most, you get so much feedback. And no I one is named in Dobby Socks 6969 on <laughs> whatever platform you're at. That is a fact. <laughs> oh my God. That is a like, what? Fact. I'm sorry, what's happened? I don't. I, I, once, I, I once read a fanfic comment. That said, your story's fine. You write like your mom loves you, and that's a problem. What? Oh my god, that's hysterical. <laughs> that is. Oh my. The story's fine. That you is write amazing. like your mom loves you, and that's a problem. It is the most specific, and I know you know exactly and I know you what mean. that means. I yes. know exactly, exactly what, you mean. what that means. Yes. Oh shit. Okay. But it's Damn. That. Just like. <laughs> fuck. Yeah, and I, and I think you do get. You would get strange things, right? Because it's the internet and you're opening yourself up. But most people would give you the kind of feedback you'd pay for. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and people would just read it for free. So it's like, you know, people would volunteer to edit it for free. Because it's like, it's not like you're making any money. No one's making any money. It's just like a labor of love, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I learned a lot about the technical side of good writing from betas that I had, from feedback, from, you know, so it's like, I think it's such a safe place to, I don't know now, right? This was like a long time ago. Um, but I think it was a very safe place for me anyway to get my footing in creative writing with really good feedback and learning the things that you're doing wrong. Cause we all start, that's how you learn, right? Like you fall down Absolutely. when you're learning to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. And I think the things you can improve to get to where you want. Mm-hmm. And then the style of writing, like fanfic writing style is different than commercial. Like the, So that style, there's always like a little bit of, you can tell somebody's first commercial book after they've written fanfic. And that goes for me as well. Because um, it takes a minute to learn a different rhythm. You can also tell when like a novel has been taken from a fanfic and then turned oh, into... Yes. A, a commercial novel. I mean, and some do it great. You know, I mean, you have your, your truths and measures and you're those who wait. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So digging into craft stuff, can you talk a little bit about your process? Like where you get your ideas, how you develop characters, just like a little bit about your process in creating stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so as I have admitted before, my wife helps me quite a bit with the kind of seed of the idea Mm-hmm. And we both, I've never thought about this until just a second. 
we both start from a place of what's the conflict. Mm. I think naturally, because I know I start from there, but I only just realized she does too, of what is the thing that's going to keep these two people not getting together on page one? Yeah. That's just built into whatever their situation is. So Guava Flavored Lies, specifically, she had been harassing me to write that story for like a year and a half before I did. But I couldn't make it work. I was just like, because she was like, what if you had two rival bakers? I was like, what am I going to do with that? You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. what do I know from baking? You know? And so, because I was thinking like a kind of, not for, you know, American-centric bakery. And I was like, what are they going to have like cookie-ish? You know, I just couldn't, could not make it work. But she started from the point of their conflict. So then it was like, well, what two people would find themselves in this conflict? And then it kind of build out, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Sarah McLean is an author that I really admire and think is just like a top-notch romance brain. And she talks about external and internal conflict. And this is something that you do maybe better than anyone I know. But external conflict is what keeps them together on the page. And internal conflict is what keeps them apart on the page. Mm -hmm. And you do such a beautiful job of creating external conflict that's going to keep people together on the page. And then having their internal conflict be, why can't they be together right now? Mm -hmm. Well, because this wound or that wound or our families hate each other and I joined in early. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Cause I think that's what makes it satisfying. Um, I was recently at the steamy lit con mm-hmm. in uh, California. Was it last month? Maybe. And I was on this uh, queer joy panel, which was, I mean, just so much fun. And they did a really talk about like intentionally diversifying a space. <sighs> they really did such a good job of trying to bring all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds, ethnicities, everything mm. that you could think of. Um, Way to in go, the, in romance. Mm-hmm. It was, it really was, I think they did an amazing job. It was so yeah. intentional. I saw a bunch of posts from it and I was like, I, I want to go. I know. Yeah. I was like, I want to go next year. It was really fun. Um, and in it, uh, we started talking about not having third act breakups. And I would say it was mostly traditionally published authors. Okay. So, but not all, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm an indie and there were a lot of really great indie authors there. But I think they, I don't know if it's from an editor expects the third act breakup or whatever it is. And it's something people hate. So like most readers hate an unnecessary third act breakup for plot reasons. Because mm-hmm. usually... It's based in either an out-of-character reaction, a mm. miscommunication that can be easily cleared up, mm-hmm. um, a misunder- a basic misunderstanding that usually undoes all of the work they had gotten, these two characters had gotten to this place. You're and it's preaching. usually, right? And that was the reaction at the con- that the panel thing. I mean, people, I was just like, oh, wow. I didn't know I was the only one. Who- I- I'm not alone in this mm-hmm. annoying because it's usually... It doesn't feel satisfying, you know? And it's not that people can't handle conflict. People want conflict. Mm-hmm. That's why you're reading. Otherwise conflict you read a- is the gas in the engine of romance, period. Absolutely. And even, I think when people say like, oh, I hate angsty. It's like, no, you hate unnecessary angst. Mm-hmm. Or what you hate is con- melodrama. Exactly. Or an unearned moment of any kind. And again, I always think about it, what characters would find themselves here? And I think that's why it works, because I have the idea for whatever the external conflict is. And then I 
think about what two people would find themselves in this exact scenario in a way that makes sense, either because of their background, what they want out of life, their, you mm-hmm. know, the lie they believe about the world. You know, there's so many different ways that you can kind of think about it. Mm-hmm. But I think that makes it hopefully at least, you know, uh, feel kind of earned where you feel their struggles earned. You write that is so it, this makes so much sense because you write stories that could only happen to the two characters you cast. Mm-hmm. A lot of romance novels, it could be any two humans in the world, mm-hmm. but your novels read like, oh no, it, why are like these, it has to be these two people. If it weren't these two right. people, this could never, never in a billion right. years. One of them happen. would walk away. Correct. Correct. They'd had a therapy. Yeah. Bottle like, flavored life. At some point, someone yeah. would have left. Right. Right. But not them. Not them. Um, so there's yeah. a quote by Kennedy Ryan that I'm going to quote to you. And then mm-hmm. I want to talk about the way you create character. Um, The quote goes, ask yourself, what makes this character relatable? Someone many will read and say, that's me. And then ask yourself, what makes this character exceptional? Someone who inspires readers to say, that's who I want to be. You are really great at creating characters that are relatable while still being aspirational. Yes. Um, Is that something you're like intentionally doing or like, how are you creating your characters? What are you looking for them to be as you're creating them? Because your conflict's driven by character. Your plot is driven by character. I mean, you are a truly character centric writer. I think, I think I really honestly super, super appreciate that. Um, uh, Cause that's very intentional. Mm. And because I do think, and it's funny that you use the word aspirational at this panel thing. I said, these love stories that we read are also what could be possible, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, if you open yourself up to love, if you learn how to forgive yourself, if you learn how to move on. And and it's, I always think about, these are people who, I always imagine them having been through therapy, honestly. Yeah. And sometimes I put that on the page. Hmm. Um, and sometimes I don't, you know, or I make like a passing reference of like, because I've had that people like, Oh, your characters communicate so well. And it's like, yeah, because they're ready to be in a relationship. So it's like, you, you have to, mm-hmm. right? At least from my perspective, my yeah. view of the world. No, you have correct. to be able to communicate. And it's okay if you're still learning, but there's an awareness and like an effort. And I think that's like a worldview I have that I think I infuse in every story. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we all struggle. In a million different ways, right? We've all had, or not all, but maybe most of us have had a relationship that marked us and didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was our fault. Maybe it was the other, whatever it is, you didn't, you know, see red flags early enough. You didn't. And it's like, this is how, not that I'm like trying to tell people how to live, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, here's how that's possible to move on from and be available for someone who is the right fit for you now. Like yes. you're, you know, I, I, this isn't mine, but someone said like, these are two characters whose broken pieces line up. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who said that. I wish I could, you know, but it's like, that sticks with me. Cause it's like, it's not, and I usually do make one character a little more emotionally evolved than the other one, mm-hmm. because I just think that's very true. Like, I don't think we're, we're not always in the same place when you meet another person. There's someone who kind of helps you. It's not that you kind of arrive at your your better person because of them, but they kind of help you, kind of give you that little leg up into, oh, like modeling behavior almost. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I love that you, when you do that, it's not always the character you expect. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Like in Destination U, 
the yeah. emotional center of that novel, the person that's mm-hmm. like the most together for it is Taylor. Mm-hmm. But everyone that, yeah. in the world would expect it to be Raquel. Right. Right. Because, right, the woman in her 40s. Yeah. She's very experienced. She has her life together. It's not like she's mm-hmm. a mess. Yeah. Um, and, I, and that was super intentional because mm-hmm. I think that's how... I think that's how you can be creative and play with things and still feel true because, you know, age doesn't mean anything. And just because you're 20 something or 28, whatever, however old she was, that doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. It's like, and also this is, I think I ruin, I ruin stories in ways because like, I would love the fantasy of like, you know, a real age gap where it's like this 28 year old girl. And she's it's like, yeah, 40 something year old woman is not going to entertain you for two minutes. If you have, like your life is a mess, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like you kind of, I don't know. It's like a little, it bothers me. Like yeah. I needed to be a little realistic. So it's like, yeah. Why would a 40 something year old woman be attracted as a partner, not as just like a, a fling Yeah, to someone almost half her age? You know, I, I think that's very difficult, right? That's not something I would do. I'm 40 years old. I don't think, well, and also married, but you know, I think even if I wasn't right, I, I can't imagine someone half my age, I could, I feel like we'd be in the same place. So it's like how to meld those two things together in a way that feels like satisfying and believable. Cause I think we do want a little bit of believability. I don't know. I do anyway. No, I think that a healthy, happy, happily ever after feels believable, like, and not just believable. Like I believe the characters got there, but like realistic. Yeah, I do too. I know some people don't and they don't need that. I do. I, I don't finish so many books when I'm just like, this would not, they would never be together. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay if it's, you're presenting to me as like a fling, but like two people that are emotionally fulfilled in this relationship and you have mm-hmm. like a major maturity imbalance or just um, where you are in the world. Like these two people are not going to be each other's partners. Mm-hmm. They might be, have a great time together and they might be a great fling, but that's not what I want in a romance. Absolutely. Um, I just appreciate the conflict you put your main characters through or the discussions that they have. It's fiction, but it's real. It's real life stuff and real life uh, reactions that you would have. Like going back to Destination You, going through the phase of taking care of an aging parent, Mm -hmm. of a sick parent, what that would be like to the dynamic of a new relationship. Mm -hmm. And you couldn't you couldn't have this some super immature 20 year old Mm -hmm. and like have it be believable that they would all be together and everything would be fine. Mm -hmm. You had to write Taylor as the super emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. woman. Also in crossing the line, one of the best, like, I don't want to call it like an argument or fight, but like, no, it was a fight. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. a discourse over an age gap, which Mm -hmm. is, it was the realest I've ever read in any age gap novel of like, yeah, okay, but this is a hot, this right. is hot to you now. But in, you know, when you're 40, I'm 60. When you're mm-hmm. 60, I'm 80. And what does that right. look like? And I was like, oh shit. JJ's like calling out <laughs> what it is for what it is. Like, and, but without us losing interest because it's, oh, it's too real. Right. Mm-hmm. We're still enjoying it. And I just think, I mean, I know you say that some people don't want that and don't appreciate it, but God, I do. <laughs> I right, love it. I do too. Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's because I like them to be somewhat realistic. And I, especially with crossing the line, that was the widest age gap. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I think that's like the most I would 
try right like that's me really pushing even my own mm-hmm. boundaries of believability i think especially we were talking about a judge who's mm-hmm. i mean she's new that's why i made her like a brand new judge right um but the reality of this person who's also been super hurt right brings like a lot of damage mm-hmm. taking a chance on anyone mm-hmm. i think is hard so to me, it had to be someone that took her completely by surprise. Because mm-hmm. it's like, if I see you coming, I, all the barriers are up. But it's like, you kind of like snuck in because I didn't even think you were going to be a threat. So you kind of like snuck behind the wall. Mm-hmm. And then now here we are. And that's one of the few times that I, I had to separate that couple, right? Like they can't, from page one, they really can't be together because there's a huge gap mm-hmm. that, um, oh my God, I forgot, Sierra the the younger one has to she has to on her own fill right yeah she has to be able to meet her at a place that's also not creepy because sometimes i've read aj apps that i'm like oh like when you're not on equal playing fields in terms of like where you are in life and mm-hmm. things like that there's some like there's a power dynamic i don't yes like. yes i like it pretend so i'll read an erotica that's like that but it's hard for me to read a romance where i feel like there's something cringe happening to me and I don't know what it is. So it's like I have this huge age gap and I have someone who's really been through some of the worst things in life in a, mm-hmm. in a you know, a really bad pre- previous relationship and someone who is so new at everything. It's not that she hasn't been through certain things, but certainly has never been in a vulnerable emotional relationship. How are these two people going to trust each other? You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. you have to talk about it. You're going to have to be like, you think you want this, you know, because it's like, that's very realistic, you know, yeah. and I know a couple, they're straight and he is in his 80s now and she's like 56 and it it's very difficult. There are a mm. lot of challenges that they have that they didn't have 20 years ago when they got married. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was like, these are the things they're not, it's not sexy. Like you say, you know, you're just like, what if? You, you know, you're you're not going to want to deal with this and you're going to want to, you know, move on. You're still in a, you're in a different, we're always going to be in different phases of our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is some real shit. Oh, sorry. Can we curse? Yeah. yeah. We Fuck always, yeah. we always get an explicit rating. Do not worry. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, you, that's, you have to deal with that. Correct. I think if you, if you want that last kind of layer of guardedness to come down, I think that person has to trust the fact that you really are eyes wide open about what this means today and in the future because it's like if you're not signing up for later you what are we doing yeah and it's the same in destination you like do you realize what you're signing up for like i am my father's caretaker like do you know what this is oh it's just great that's all great those are the two things i get the most comments about like people writing me sending me an email or messaging me on Mm -hmm. uh instagram or whatever it is those those two things you just like picked out especially destination you with the uh, you're the caregiver for someone and and you choose to and you are happy to be their caregiver Mm -hmm. that comes at a huge cost yeah and you have that much less to give a relationship and Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't all give equally at the same time Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you have to know that you are going to be putting in more emotional work than me because I only have so much unless you help me with the thing that costs me emotional gas, you know, and then we're at the same level and we're together and we can experience 
this love that we have, but work it into a, my, the reality of her life that she's not gonna, she's not gonna make a different choice. This is the choice she's made, be the caregiver for her father. And she wants to be, and who can really fit in that? Like you were saying, this person can, right. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not going to be anyone else. Well, and that, like, again, just only the only two people that could do that are, you know, Raquel and Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, I really appreciate your discussion of power dynamics and, like, being mm-hmm. open and honest with them. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that when I see romance that, like, anytime romance goes off the rails for me, it's always a power dynamics issue. Mm-hmm. Me too. Because it's like, okay, either it feels predatory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or it feels manipulative. Mm-hmm. And it's really important when writing romance. I think when writing in general, when writing relationships in general, if you're looking for them to be maybe not at this moment, but eventually like functional, right? Eventually yeah. in game, you have to have the power dynamics where I don't think like power dynamics are ever like totally equal. There's probably always Never. someone in a situation that has a little more power, a little less And it power. might change. And it might change over time. And it might change situation to situation. Absolutely. But yeah. at the net, at net, they're on equal playing fields. They're in yeah. the relationship. They have the same amount of power. Yeah. And I think it's tough because I think I've recently read uh, Theodora Taylor's, um, when she talks about universal fantasy, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. seven figure author uh, yeah seven, uh, seven figure, figure fiction. fiction yeah yeah so she talks a lot about it made me actually understand a lot of attraction to kinds of books that i am not attracted to but zero shame right yeah yeah absolutely it's you can explore any consenting adults can explore absolutely anything i that is not whether you like it or not right you don't have to read it then if you don't like it yeah for sure but it made me understand why so if someone has see how she kind of phrased it so that I can do it justice, the idea of someone coming in to rescue you. So that is a power imbalance. If you have like billionaire romance, for example, Mm -hmm. and here's this person with so much power and money and access and everything, and you're never going to be on the same footing, but that's not what you're looking for. You want someone to come in and rescue you Mm -hmm. and take you out of your life and literally fix everything. And that is what that reader is reading for. And I think because I don't read for that, I'm not, I'm not attracted to that. And I mean that in the sense of like, it doesn't, it doesn't interest me. Right. And I think it's like, there's space for everything, but I think the, the romance I want to read is the romance I write and I need equal, an equal playing field. And I know I'm simplifying the billionaire thing. Cause I know it's, it's also tied into like beauty and the beast yeah. And it's like, well, she's the only one that can tame the beast kind of thing. And mm-hmm. and that's the universal fantasy, right? That you're going to meet this person and you're the only one that can kind of tame them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a different. And then you're eventually at the end, even then you're on equal footing, right? Because you've, you've kind of come to this place now that I think about it. So maybe even then, even then you want equal footing, even if there is an imbalance, a huge one at the beginning. You're right. I think even those stories come to... You have to be on equal footing to stay yeah. together. I just think for a healthy happily ever after, the power dynamics have to be um, even. Like they ha- it has to have healthy power dynamics. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think you brought that up when you wrote the 10 reasons for mm-hmm. Destination You. That was when I was like, you need to read this book. You need to read this book. And I like gave you a brief description. You're like, 
teacher student not mm-hmm. my jam oh yes i got a lot of that and i was like no, no they're adults it's a long time later she yeah has a 401k it's okay <laughs> yes and i was like no 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 <laughs> yeah. you don't understand like read this book and macon was like yeah and then you posted the 10 reasons i'm like yes which is amazing by the way thank oh. you <laughs> no worries thank you oh but yes does it beautifully Um, I want to talk about the role that the Cuban American culture plays in your stories. So when I was talking to Macon about the flight risk, as you read it of all these like places in the South, uh, it's very apparent that the location is also a character. Mm-hmm. And because that's, you know, where Macon is from and it's, you know, inspired her art. So I guess how does it inspire your art? And, you know, is it, just because this is, you know, my life and like where I've lived, or is it just like intentionally like this is important to me to put it into these characters? Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah. It's funny because when I started writing, I, you internalize so many stories, right? Mm-hmm. And how many have you read set in Miami? None. So it wasn't my go-to. I mean, I've read several because I've, re- I've read a lot. Right. <laughs> yeah. Barring me. Okay, um, not very many. No, not very many. Right, Dexter is the only series I can think of that um, I read that was set in Miami, and that I like that I can remember. I'm sure I've read other things, but I didn't originally set the first story there. I set it like in New York. Mm-hmm. I don't know because, but romances are in New York. I don't know. That's what you do, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they also weren't Hispanic. It, hmm. it wasn't like um, you know, intentional. But as I kind of. Stayed thinking about it. And that's when I was working on the vampire series. And I don't think it, that one may not be set in Miami. But I did change the ethnicity of the characters. Because mm-hmm. I was like, why? Like, I've made no choice, you know? And it's like, why am I writing this story that I cannot? Even it's a vampire and it's, you know, obviously all made up as all things are. Why am I telling it from this story? Like, I, my vampire was European, Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, why? What would that look like if they weren't? So I think initially I didn't do it intentionally. And then it was more like, I can tell something authentically that I know. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we live we live in the United States. And so I think our experience can be um, through whatever lens is popular, right? Mm-hmm. And usually that's not this very specific experience that I have lived. Mm-hmm. And so I think we just internalize story and we don't think about it. And I didn't intentionally think about it. And then later, I think as I was, I may have done it in, in editing or I may have just rewritten it. I was just like, why am I not telling a story I know? You mm. know, and it's just from, it's, you know, just like turns of phrases, food, the sounds, humor, family dynamics. You know, this is something yeah. I can tell more authentically. And then from there on, it was just a choice that I made and I have stepped out and sometimes represented other um, Hispanic ethnicities that I feel comfortable representing mm-hmm. because I either know them intimately mm-hmm. or I have someone that I can rely on to not just sensitivity read, but is this the right note that I, you yeah. know, is this right? Is the because I think hitting. something can be mm-hmm. right. Cause something can be not offensive, which I think is what sensitivity readers can look at and then something can be right. And I want it to be right. I get so many people that message me cracking up at some turn of phrase. One of my Cuban characters said, and it's like, Oh my God, I can hear my grandma, you know? Mm. And it's like, I want 
that. Yes. As best I can deliver. So, because I think sometimes people are like, oh, you know, I'm like, people are like another Cuban American in Miami. But it's like, I can make that sing, you know, yeah. versus trying to write something else somewhere else that I just don't have the same access to the experience. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think over time, I think I've just now, I, it's very intentional. You know, I write, I write people I can, I either know or live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a big part of the reason why I want to write from this. Uh, I mean, I'm Southern, so I don't think I can write from a non-Southern perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. But the other piece of it is, is it's so fun to not just see like, so, so often in the South and in a lot of cultures, you only see the net negative. Oh, yeah. And it's really fun in your books to see the fun side. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, there'll be the familial pressure and the, you know, all of that. But it's also really fun to be like, no, you don't understand. Games matter so much. <laughs> we play them all the time. It is a part of our culture. And like seeing that yeah. is really fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that that level of representation of not just like, I use this term a lot, but I really mean it. It's like, so I talk about like queer joy a lot, mm-hmm. but also fun to read like Cuban joy yeah. or Cuban American joy mm-hmm. or like Southern joy or like Southern exactly. queer joy. There's right. Just, Imagine that. That's groundbreaking. Right. And it's yeah. like, and I mean, part of, of, you know, one day I will write the great religious trauma book that's in my soul, but it won't mm-hmm. be today. Mm-hmm. Um, but in part of writing the flight risk, I was like, the South can be really fun. Can I yes. please show you how yeah. fun? I mean, you're also from the South. You get it. Yeah. I mean, Miami is like its own. I was going to say, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not, a, it's not it's an island in the South. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I'm from the South. And when I say the South, I mean like the redneck South. Um, you're from the fancy South. <laughs> well, thank you. I don't mm-hmm. take it as a compliment or not. You should. But Miami I think you're right rules. about the, the South. It's always this downtrodden. Mm hmm economically depressed right it's like the struggle of it all at least in almost every kind of literary representation i've read and it's like yeah there's also people who are open accepting and loving and there's a vibrance and there's the joy joy is the the perfect word yeah but i think sometimes we also repeat what we think we should it's like you repeat what you've seen because you mm -hmm. think you should and sometimes you don't take a step back and say but do i have to there's layers, there's facets, there's everything. Absolutely. And like, when you think of like Southern voices, it's always like Barbara Kingslaver or Pat Conroy or these, mm-hmm. and Patchett, even though she doesn't really write about the South, she's still a Southern writer. And like, man, Demon Copperfield Head is, is great. It's also sad. Super sad. My wife listened to it on audiobook. It's so, it is not my kind of book. Right. It's just, isn't it? I realized horrifying. I like a lot and I like things to happen and I like there to be a point. It's not for me. This book was beautiful. Like the lines in the book, like the way it is written, it's almost like 4,000 pages of poetry. It's so good. It's so beautifully written However, and sad. My God, mm. nothing good happens. Oh, Correct. Like it's like, oh, now? No, mm-hmm. no, not now. And, like, and that's the point. But yeah, it's and like, I'm a oh. Pat Conroy fan, and he's the same way, man. Prince of Tides, yeah. yes. it's just tragedy. But like all the great, like, you know, yeah. freaking William Faulkner. Why can't we just let some Southern people be happy? Right, yeah, right. 
So then in walks the flight risk hey, that will have you crying every other chapter. <laughs> but they're having fun in the South. You know? Yeah. That's, that's true. Okay. Um, bittersweet. Bittersweet. Absolutely. Um, so going back to writing, uh, the way that you do representation, it's just like so mm-hmm. innately. Um, when you're looking to like create character, um, do you create your characters in pairs? Are you creating or are you creating one character and then finding the foil to that character? That is such a good question. Thank you. It's almost like you've done this before. <laughs> um, Handful of times. <laughs> I've never realized that I do always create one first. Hmm. And then the foil. A hundred percent. Okay. Or one one kind of appears first. And they're not like very far apart. But it's like there really there is the one dominant character, and it's like who, who was their missing piece? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I never realized that I did that, but yeah, I do. I make one first. I think that's why one of my characters is always a little bit more the protagonist than the other. And in romances, I think you there should be a little bit more equal. But I like it that it's one person's story a little bit more than the other one. So I think mm-hmm. it goes back to one person's a little bit more well adjusted usually in my story than mm. the other. Or does or not so much well adjusted, but doesn't have to go through as much change. Like I have, they don't have as much change to make, you know, yeah. changes to make uh, to kind of earn the happy ending at right. the end. So, and I think I start with that character. I start with the one that has the most change, and then it's who will fit with this person, and what can this person offer that person. So, what can they offer that partner that that exact perfect partner that they need? What do they have that their partner also needs? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's why your characters read us so right for each other because of that. That makes so much sense. Thank you. Okay. So I want to talk about um, sex and the way that you write sex. Uh, you needed to have sang that. I don't know why you didn't. Um, Let's talk about sex, you know? baby. I'll, I'll put in the clip. How many seconds can we get before we get sued? Right. I'll look it up. You can get that at least. I'm you sure. Yeah. For okay. Sure. We'll yeah. do it. Um, but I also want to talk about it in the context of the way that you write tension and the way that you write banter. Cause I think they all have the mm-hmm. same heart. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, man, that was good. Uh-huh. You, I need you to like, just write a book about that. Can you write a nonfiction <laughs> book about that? Cause that's brilliant. I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. But you, so when you write, so we've done not a, that many podcasts and I've talked about Destination U on most of them. <laughs> um, you are the Emma Wilson stan account. Yeah. I am just fully Destination U. Yeah, Anytime yeah. someone's like, oh, you read? I'm like, yes, I do read. Have you heard of this book? You haven't? Here you go. Um, Thank you. That is like... Your check is in the mail. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> full on JJ Arias missionary. Have you heard of our Lord and Savior? <laughs> Read this book. It will change you. All right. Sorry. Go on. I needed to. Um, That is the correct stance, actually. So when you write sex, banter, all of it, it comes to a core of the way that you write tension. Everything in the first 70% of the book, all of the conflict, anytime they have sex, anytime, it makes things way worse before it makes anything better. And then when you're writing it, the way that you hold tension is so beautiful. So 
most sex scenes are kind of almost outside of the rest of the novel. Mm -hmm. But yours are deeply embedded into it. Up to and including, like, you write really sexy dialogue in your sex scenes. But I think it works because... You say that to all the girls. I don't. Promise (laughs) you I don't. Because you're not just writing dirty talk. You're creating character moments in the sex scenes. So what is your approach to like creating and holding tension in terms of writing both like intimacy, but then also like just banter, like the way that your characters banter is hot. And again, I think it just comes back to that core way that you create tension. Can I add something really quickly? This is, this is my time to shine. This is where I, Liz has checked into the conversation. You are Viking. Let's do it. Yes. Um, Going back to how these two characters, like, it could only be these two characters, Mm -hmm. and, like, writing the sexy dialogue in these scenes, no other character could say these words. The reason why it's so hot is because it's not just a copy and paste, like, oh, Google Dirty Talk said in bed and added in. Their full-on person and personality is engaged in this moment. That was just my like add in because I really, I just, re- JJR is sex scenes. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank you. If a sex scene is ever not lifting something, like doing some heavy lifting, I'll cut it. You hold and release tension with language mm-hmm. so well. When you're writing your sex scenes, and I also want to talk about this like in deep banter scenes. Mm-hmm. So, like, Guava Flavored Lies is one where, like, it. I went back and reread it. I read it recently and then went back and reread it. And it fucking blew my mind how little sex there was in that book. Right. Based on how fucking sexy that book is. Right. Because I think it's the same note. It sex is, Sex yeah. and banter are the same. It is the same tension, mm-hmm. I think, like you said it earlier. So it's like, it's the same interplay. It's the same back and forth, give and take of a good sex scene. I think it, you know, it like would light up the same parts of my brain. I think. Yes. They're equally difficult to write. Um, because it's almost like a song. It's like a rhythm. It's like, you have to hit it just right. That sounds very filthy. Um, but you do. I I meant, I meant the writing, but well, correct. I mean, Um, mm. you know, whatever. Art imitates life, imitates art. (laughs) But it it is the same. I think Mm -hmm. it's the same. You get the same satisfaction. And you get the same, like, little thrill, you know, when it's like, yeah. who scored the point, you know, and, yes. and who's kind of, like, dominating, right? Topping the kind of conversation and mm-hmm. yeah, letting that happen and who's, get, you know, because it's like, I think, especially in Guava, I think Lauren let Sylvie win a lot in mm-hmm. the same way, you know, because it's like, this is, it's like her love language, Right. Was the sparring, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like moments. And and I think in the bedroom it's the same. And so I think it's it it maybe doesn't feel like it's missing because it's kind of like hitting that same little like, ooh, and they read fast, you know, yeah. you can kind of like because you're if you're in the moment, you kind of feel that, you know, excitement, yeah. I think, in the same in the same way. I think so anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Completely sure. unrelated kind of related whenever i see someone wink i always <laughs> mentally quote sylvie be like ew who winks i'm like i read that i'm like 
Yeah. Who winks? <laughs> that cringe feeling when you're watching like thirst traps on TikTok. Like, I just okay. like, I watch it through <laughs> Sylvie's lens and I'm just like, disgusting. Enough of yeah. that. Like, Stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's funny. Um, Cause I think I start to, as I write, I do. I mean, my characters don't talk to me, right? Like some people can talk about, but I hear them. Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, and yeah. They, they usually have a different rhythm to their language. They have such a, especially when I write characters like Sylvie, which the story I'm working on now, Lola, who um, has a minor part in the first book that mm -hmm. I uh, is coming out soon. She is even, she is Sylvie on, I don't even know what kind of drug would make someone worse. Oh my God. But she is so intense and like everything's an attack and everything's a competition and she has to win every point. That point of view is so specific. You cannot help but write them differently than every other person. And not everyone is that specific to me because, you know, you can't have, it can't be high octane all the time. That's not an enjoyable thing to read. You need someone, at least for me, I need that, the other side of the coin, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's like, you need the balance to this person. So you need someone a little bit more chill. They can meet them there, mm -hmm. but they're the one that's going to bring them down to a little bit more manageable level. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's why the dialogue is so specific to these particular characters. I want in a perfect world, I didn't need uh, dialogue tags where, you know, this person is the only one mm. between these two that would say this. And that's not always possible because that can be exhausting to read and to write. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you, sometimes you just need, but it's like I, in a perfect world, especially in like a sex scene or an argument, you do, you can literally just have dialogue and you know exactly right. who's talking. Yes. And also whose joke it is. So I made a note. You do humor so well. So well. Good. That's so well. <laughs> especially in Losing Control, the book that's coming out um, on the 28th. So this is like three days. Um, losing Control is funny. All, all of the books are funny, but yes, losing control for sure. And I want to, we'll dig into that, but it's not just the dialogue. It's also, I, I asked Megan the other day, what is non-dialogue called? <laughs> this is how dumb I am. With that's books. a good question. No, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, in both in the pros. areas. And so some people, or again, I don't want to like lift someone up by putting people down. Right. <laughs> okay. Everyone so it's a different tech and yeah. everybody likes different things. Yeah, sometimes I will read humor, um, and it's like, yes, that in itself is a funny sentence, but yours is funny because no one else would tell that joke. Like, her personality is behind that joke. That's what makes it funny. And because you know how they are, their personalities, how they are bantering with each other, like, so many legitimate laugh-out-loud moments throughout <laughs> your books. So, I mean, and I think it's, I can't remember what, how the adage goes, but it's like the specific is what's funny. Mm. Um, and I think it's kind of the same, right? Like, like you're saying, even though I write third person, just because I, I can't get the hang of first person, mm -hmm. it's well, not, but you I write don't think very close third person. Right. And yeah. so it's like, I want, I want you to feel the difference from chapter to chapter that you've shifted into a different point of view, even though I'm not in I, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Oh. So it's like, and I think it's, it's intentional to try to stay in that person's point of view very specifically yeah. and, and how they think about the world around them, which is what 
mostly the pros is because I don't do a lot of like setting and stuff like that because I don't think we need it usually. Um, as long as it's like, you know, you're not in a blank room to me, that's enough. Cause I don't, I don't think I write it that well. And I don't, I, so I think it's like, you're good at what you like. And I like uh-huh. writing dialogue. It's, if I could just write dialogue, that'd be amazing. But you create mm. a sense of place really well using very few words. Like you can Thank feel you. space using very few words. So I don't feel like you, I feel like you're settling yourself a little short and on Shibley Sapphic, <laughs> we don't do that. All right. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate it. <laughs> But also, I appreciate not getting 80 pages on what shoes she was wearing. It's nice. No, Which is awful because sometimes it's like you – I feel like people do remember – you don't need like a specific outfit. Mm-hmm. You remember generally how this person dresses. And I think I'm going to point it out when it's different than that. Mm-hmm. And then even then sometimes it's like how do I write this in a way that's interesting? That is so hard. So it's like, you know, so it's like you want the character's reaction to what that person is wearing is a mm-hmm. little more interesting. Yes. Or in Losing Control, which we're going to start talking about, you do a really good job in of Adrian. Adrian, is that how we're saying Adriana. You? No. Adriana. Um, <laughs> Did you see me come on? No. <laughs> um, I'm incorrect. I'm not offended. You did not like yeah, that I appreciate all. it. Sorry, um, Adriana. I get defensive about JJ's work. I appreciate that. No, that fucked up. I'm happy. Look. <laughs> Wow. No one's happier to admit a fuck up than me. <laughs> me too. Um, but in the first quarter, a little more, probably third of that book, you're very aware of what she is wearing because yes. she's very aware yes. of what yes. she's wearing because it is in such stark contrast to the world that she's in. Yes. And it was yes. such a great way, simple and great way of showing fish out of water. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's one of the few times that that's been relevant, right? Mm-hmm. Like both that what both characters are wearing almost all the time is relevant yeah. um, to how they feel, to what persona they're adopting. I call it dra- like work drag, you know, because mm-hmm. I use that all the time. You know, it's like we put on a certain almost like a uniform and that yeah. that informs our like they say, you know, if you're going to do a job interview over Zoom dress like you're going in person, right? Because you get mm-hmm. into this mindset or an important yeah. meeting, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, dress however you'd show up. And and I think especially in Losing Control, the clothes mattered so much in a way that I didn't realize until, like, kind of... I'm like, man, I'm describing their outfits, like, every time. But it's, it's intentional, right? Because, like, they both, yeah. I think, use costumes in certain ways. Yes, absolutely. Um, and the stopping oh. using costumes becoming, becomes relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's like, but otherwise, I usually find like people know, like you can trust, and that's something I've only learned over time. How much you can trust the reader doesn't need you to tell them, you know, like just tell them the things they can't get by themselves. But it's really hard to do because sometimes it's like, well, I want to explain why they're thinking this, but I think people tr- will trust you over time and know this is weird. Why is she behaving like this? He that you know they're behaving like this. Mm-hmm. there's going to be a reason. Like, I've read this author before. Usually their characters don't go out of character or behave or get upset without something. And I did that in this book. I had a scene where one of the characters is upset, and I don't usually have scenes like this where they kind of remove themselves from what's made them upset. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, people are going to think I'm breaking them up. People are going to think that this is going to lead to... And I was like, I have to trust that 
we're we're gonna get we're gonna come back and i'm not this is not gonna go a long way but mm-hmm. it's like this person has to process and the only way to process is to step back and yeah. figure out what they're doing but that's scary sometimes because you just want to tell them all the things so that they mm-hmm. know what's going to happen so that you don't think like well i've been burned before by this happening you know and so sometimes it's hard not to spell everything out and i think that's something i've, I've gotten more comfortable with as a control freak it's very hard for me to not <laughs> control every aspect of your experience but it's like it's okay if you imagine them wearing something different it does not matter (laughs) if you imagine roughly a house in miami and it's just a normal single family home and you know it's maybe spanish uh you know stucco on the outside i don't does it matter what you're picturing no Mm -hmm. you know well and it's so interesting because something i like remind myself often or i tell myself about my books is like books belong to their readers absolutely like Books are gifts authors give to the reader. Mm-hmm. And once I'm done writing it, like once I'm done, I, it's not mine anymore. Like I, mm-hmm. I can tell you what I was trying to do. I can yeah. tell you what I was thinking, mm-hmm. but this is yours. And so what yeah. you get out of it mm-hmm. is what you get out of it. And I do think that learning to trust your readers is such a, it's like a, it's a sub, it's like as you're leveling up as an author, it's yeah, like, okay. It's super hard. And mm. I think it's but simply because, well, one, I think we grew up. So I'm 38, I'm 37. So I'm like, right, you and I are elder millennials, right? Um, <laughs> unfortunately. Unfortunately. So we grew up at a very specific time when enthusiasm was not good. Like enthusiasm mm-hmm. was super lame mm-hmm. and critique was all we knew. And so mm-hmm. it's like very hard for me not to over explain myself because yes. I'm all, I, my, intellectual like when i was intellectually born was at a time when my the expectation was you defend yourself and so incredible observation and so it's really hard as a writer for me to be like i don't have to defend myself Mm -hmm. the work will speak for itself Mm -hmm. and i spend so much time in my editing being like okay you only wrote that because you didn't want someone to be like well the way they're holding that is dumb. And right. I was like, so like, don't live in fear of Dobby Sox 6969. Right. <laughs> because they're um, still there and they will there. read your book and they will and, write a comment or a review. And you're just like, that's not what I meant. But you can't, you have to let it go. Right. You and absolutely also, right. Valid critique, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Valid critique. That was your dude. interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, Sometimes like, valid, not always valuable. It, correct. Ooh. And. That's reviews good. are for readers and i cannot yes. stress this enough yeah reviews are for readers man yeah. and that's great yeah but like i can't as someone who um has adhd and got a really healthy dose of rejection sensitive dysphoria with my particular brand i can't engage with it because it will mm. make me crazy trying to please everybody yeah and you just can't you just can't uh-uh. losing control i am in love with this novel so let's talk about it yes absolutely i knew i was going to be in love with it Mm -hmm. we had the honor the huge honor the like fell to my knees almost cried honor (laughs) of getting an early copy of it and i want to get into it jj can i call you jj i realize we've been an hour in sorry as if you're nasty (laughs) oh hey (laughs) and i am um (laughs) Something I really appreciate about the way that you write is that you are great at like a 
you're great at just like a traditional romance trope idea mm-hmm. thing, but you'll also make a big fucking swing. And I love a high concept novel. And this is such a great high concept novel. It's so good. So for readers, read this book. We're not going to spoil it. But the idea of a client, agent, this like power thing, but then also forbidden love, forbidden mm-hmm. love, which is something that I you do so well in all of your books that aids in conflict, which is like the theme of this is just you're right. a master of conflict. Mm-hmm. But you're great at forbidden fruit, teacher, student, agent, right. client, rival bakers. Like this, it's such a great level of tension. But in this book specifically, it is delicious. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. The Roxy and Adriana tension of Adriana's point of view of like, this is my client. I am a professional. Mm -hmm. I'm saving her ass. I'm saving, you know, this is important. And then in, in the Roxy POV of like almost hot to her that it's, it's forbidden at first. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then it goes from that to like, oh shit. This person mm-hmm. could be my undoing. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you want to give us a synopsis? And then, as I understand, it's it's going to be it's the first one of a series, right? Yes. Yeah, so I haven't done a series in a while, um, and so I'm taking another swing at it. Um, Ooh, yes. And this time they're much more. They are interconnected stories. You have to read in order. My old mm-hmm. uh, series, or my first series, I should say, I made them all standalone. So this one, I wanted to try something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and. It was definitely intentional that I didn't want it to just be like we were talking about earlier. Okay, you have the exterior. This is this would be inappropriate, mm-hmm. but why wouldn't it stop there? Just inappropriate, mm-hmm. right? Like in life, when we meet someone, that it would be inappropriate to have a relationship. We just don't. Right. Just like with mm-hmm. enemies to lovers, someone you don't like, you just don't. Right. Yeah. 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 You definitely don't like secretly also want to be with them. Right. Like, mm-hmm. so to me, it has to feel earned and, mm-hmm. and like you can imagine this situation. If you were in either one of these people's shoes, you do the exact same thing. Yes. Mm, and, absolutely. Right. And I, cause I think that's what's fun. This is, a, we live vicariously through the characters that, that we read about. So, um, I wanted, and I, I, when you say a big swing, I worried, I have gotten all positive feedback. So I think I'm, well, cause it's, I'm happy, great. but I worried so much that Roxy is outside of most people's lived experience. And I worry, worried, um, that man, I hope somebody doesn't start reading it and feel like, ugh, this is a douchey character that's never going to change. And it's like, Change happens and it happens kind of fast, right? Because it's like, here's someone who meets someone they have no, they have no reference for. Correct. Mm-hmm. Also, you do a great job textually, um, and this is not a spoiler, but textually signifying Roxy two X's. Three. Yes. Three X's. Then Roxy. Man, Liz is not playing around. No. She is not having it. Sorry. This is... <laughs> This is why you either really want me to beta read for you or really don't want me to beta read for you because I will dig in. No, no. And and so in 
in the first scene, it happens, like, I think literally chapter nine. It happens early. The yeah. first time. So in Roxy's POV, she's always R-O-X-Y. Yeah. Her name. Her name. Who she is. But the first time Adriana slips into calling her Roxy with one X mm-hmm. is this very, like, almost mm-hmm. throwaway moment yes. in most other books. But because you're you, it's such a special moment and they're sharing mm-hmm. food. Like it's like a very mm-hmm. human experience. Yeah. And I really love how you used such a human experience of eating to humanize her mm-hmm. for Adriana. Yes. And so I talk about that. Talk about taking yeah. this larger than life character and making her a person. Yes. So I wanted, and the thing about food is was very intentional because mm-hmm. I think food, the kitchen, these all the kind of important, not all, but many of the important next steps in their mm-hmm. interpersonal relationship are around food or yeah. the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And Roxy, as we learn her backstory, did not have a lot of those moments. So mm-hmm. they mean everything to mm. her. Right. And I think they help her slip out of her Roxy with three X's drag. Yeah. Correct. And help her be who she really is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, and it's it, not that she's not also Roxy with three X's, but that's something she wears. And Adriana lets her, gives her the permission to take it off and still have value. Correct. And even in the first moment where, Roxy saves Adriana from the algae smoothie, which you guys will get that. It's so early, but it does set the tone of, and I think that it's, there's something in a person that has never been cared for Mm -hmm. being cared for and caring for someone in the most vital way that we can care for each other, which is literally providing sustenance. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that is such a brilliant move on your part is to all of her most human moments happen doing the most human thing we do, which is literally sustaining ourselves. I'm, I'm so glad you, you like, you felt that, you know, mm-hmm, cause it's one mm-hmm. of those things like you can certainly enjoy it without putting that connection, but I wanted it to, to be important to Roxy. It's not important to Adriana who we see shares food with people who love her mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it, there's not that much meaning in it for her. There is in the sense that Roxy kind of lowers her persona to herself, but it's not something so significant. And you never know what is significant to another person that you receive as something so simple that is a huge, right? An act of love, an act, you know, and I mean, not love with a capital L necessarily, but an act of caring, right? And this is something I want to do and hear all the things I can share with you that show you not only who I am, but that I I care for you. I also want to talk about this theme of facing queerness, mm-hmm. um, because I feel like I picked this up more so. Mm-hmm. In the other books, it's like, they happen to be queer, but it's mm-hmm. that's not what the story is about. Yeah. And maybe it's not even like the main idea in this book, but I feel like you address it a lot mm-hmm. more. Um, yeah. I have... A bunch of highlights. You, you know, you talk about how 
queer characters get killed off in Hollywood or mm-hmm. how they get portrayed. Um, there's a moment, like, I will do everything I can to not spoil, but there is a moment where um, Adriana is looking at Sapphics in one space and recognizing, like, what that means to her now, what it could have meant to her in the past, and mm-hmm. what it could mean for those in the future. So can you kind of talk about that theme and why you wanted to put yeah. it in here? And and it's, I think it ended up being, so when I was thinking about the series and I knew, so this, the idea for the story came in Love or Scandal, where <laughs> the director is working on a new a series, right? So she is mm-hmm. a film director and yeah. she's wearing on like a, working on a prestige uh, TV show series. And she decides she wants it to be queer AF. <laughs> and she wants it to be so aggressively lesbian, you know, mm. sapphic, I know is more, uh, more inclusive term. Yeah. So that she really wanted this to be, be the, the point. Right. So I took that because I kind of gave myself a few different seeds to work on when I was writing that book because I, I already knew I wanted to write a series. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, what a fun tie-in. You know, I kind of like just plant the little seed here and if somebody wants to read yeah. the series. So then I was like, well, here's this talent agency that is run by a woman and is very intentionally representing queer artists. Mm. And and I would say um, female female identifying queer artists, yeah, it's very specifically. Like here's this slice of our community, right? The, our greater community. Here's this very specific slice, and they're not all um, of color mm-hmm. necessarily. Like all the characters that they represent, but I focus. So like all the ones I focus on are right. Yes. So not all their clientele is is the same but they're all very queer and it's an intentional a very intentional thing that the uh head of the talent agency has done and Mm -hmm. so i think each of the agents so there's the two agents and the head of the agency they are all super aware and intentional with their queerness Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the clients they represent and the community they serve so I think it's probably so unrealistic in our day and age that this would be a real, because they're not just like some mom and pop, right? They're a huge thriving. And so that's super aspirational on my part that there would be a market. I think there is a market, but Mm -hmm. I should say that we have been able to connect to a market Mm -hmm. that consumes sapphic art of Mm -hmm. all kinds that these agents and these people have intentionally cultivated, created and rocketed to you know mainstream stardom because i think so many of our artists are not mainstream right absolutely we have our corner of the community that we consume and that's not to say that mainstream community would not or culture would not accept us i think they absolutely will like you look at um what's the movie that just came out that was based on the book red white and royal red white and royal blue yeah by casey mcquiston Right. So you're like, there 100% is a market that does not have to reflect the people on the screen that are very interested in consuming that media. Mm -hmm, And I think mm -hmm. it's true for sapphics too. We just, we're so far behind, right? Like, 
but we could be there. And I think we will eventually be there. I think more mm-hmm. people try different things. Like we were talking about, you know, before, as more people try different things, you're like, this is just good. It doesn't have to be gay, lesbian, sapphic, you know, whatever it is. This is just good. This is a good story, yeah. well told, and I'm enjoying it. And that's what we're seeing. I think Heartstopper is another one, right? Absolutely. That it's like this mass appeal. And we haven't gotten there yet, I think. I can't think of, other than like, uh, what, Carol? You know, <laughs> A League of Their Own had a huge following that a wasn't just yep. sapphic. But it's like a a perfect example of what you reference in the book of like, we get canceled, we get killed off, we, it's, I mean, it's honestly kind of the, the prototypical, the purpose of why we started this podcast. It is the purpose of why we started this podcast. To amplify these stories. And I think it's the same, that's the same heart of this series. Yeah. Yeah. Is it's so, because usually I really don't find that the queerness of the characters is a huge deal mm-hmm. because I also, I can't write from a personal experience of a real struggle in mm. coming out and being myself. Mm-hmm. So I find it, I'm so nervous to write that story on the page. I've given that as a background from yeah. friends that I have, that I have talked to about it mm-hmm. or experienced it with them Mm-hmm. Well, what they went through, but I can't live in that skin and I get very nervous. You know what I mean about like being wrong because it's like, that's one of those things that you have the best of intentions and you can be hurtful with a representation. Absolutely. Or right. So Absolutely. usually the coming out is not, my characters usually don't even come out, right? They're already yeah. out and everybody just mm-hmm. knows them and accepts them. And, you know, and that's not to say, of course, they're so under the sun. There's every, every kind of experience. And so I felt like I was thinking that's the only way that coming out was the only way to be really queer. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And I think I found a way to to be very aware of all the things we all experience, right? We've all been in the friend group of people who are not queer and everybody yeah. talks about their romantic life, their sex life, and we just don't. No mm-hmm. one's telling us we can't. You know, it's just something that you're like, you don't want to, you know what I mean? Like we're very surface level. Absolutely. It's, right. I mean, it's the idea of like felt versus enacted stigma. Mm-hmm. Sometimes felt stigma is even more, um, even more toxic than enacted stigma because mm-hmm. felt stigma is just my fear mm-hmm. that you're going to other me or you're going to stigmatize yeah. me. So I'm going to elect. Yes. To, to edit not myself, to edit myself, myself mm-hmm. because I am concerned about, yeah. I feel stigmatized. You haven't yeah. done anything. You haven't enacted right. towards me, 100%. but I have existed long enough to right. feel that yeah. stigma. And I think that so much of, and like, sometimes we talk about internalized homophobia, but I don't even know that that's what this is. I think it is literally just the idea of understanding I'm going to make everybody uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's going to make me uncomfortable. So right. what I'm going to do is not talk about sex with you. Right. Also, I'm really sorry. Orgasms are so hard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Bless. Sorry. Bless y'all. Yeah. <laughs> sorry um, for your loss. <laughs> it's true. I think we take the sexual out of the sexual orientation because mm-hmm. it's like, and that's like a whole nother, I feel like we could talk about this for three for hours. hours. Yeah. But that our identity is so linked with sex and mm-hmm. sex is so linked with dirty secret, whatever, mm-hmm. even normal sex. Like I'm not even yeah. saying like, you know, it's just something. I mean, a puritanical culture, we come from a puritanical culture. And so, exactly. and so when you're defined yeah. by your sexuality in a puritanical exactly. culture, 
it's a fucking problem. Right, exactly. And it's like, there's no way to talk about the part that makes me different than you, so to speak, right? My Mm -hmm. queerness is tied to the fact that I'm married to a woman. So my relationship Mm -hmm. is with the woman. And you're like, all that stuff is the same as yours, right? Like Mm -hmm. 90% of our lives are exactly the same. I would say Mm -hmm. as most people, right? And then you, the only part that makes me different is, you know, who I'm sleeping with. And so they're innately, there's this dirtiness and Mm -hmm. it's exactly right. We're a puritanical culture and it's, and it's, it's so silly because it, you, like you saying this person's attractive, you're not saying anything gross. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're not making it. It's a G-rated comment that people make to each other all the time. But it's like you said, you self-censor because you know, even subconscious. I think all these things are so subconscious. Oh, 100%. Yeah. That you just know I'm othering myself. And right, it's like right. I had never thought about it in those terms, but it is absolutely true. And that is uncomfortable. Being different is uncomfortable. I mean, I think you illustrate in this book that when you – live an experience that puts you in that position, there's like a fork in the road. And so you have Adriana, who's like, I don't, I'm not going to other myself. Mm-hmm. And then you have Roxy, who's like, I'm unapologetically right. queer. Full throttle. I am like, from the closet to the stage, which is the furthest distance <laughs> you can go. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's, it's very timely as well, because we think about like, our, the queer artists that we have, and it is like, in this niche space, mm-hmm. I think there's like, the overlap is coming. It's it, yes. the change it really is, is. is coming. It really is. I think about, you know, let's talk about Fletcher, mm-hmm. who uh very never heard know, of her. <laughs> <laughs> who? Um <laughs> she I think people might see from the outside be like, oh, she's like over sexualized and da da da. It's like, how many people in pop music are seen Everyone as like is. sex symbols? Absolutely. And um but because Fletcher is keeping female pronouns of who she's singing about, it's like yeah. this big taboo thing. Right. Um, but we need more of it. Absolutely. And so like yeah. I need so I need more. Roxy to become <laughs> a real person. <laughs> well Me too. So, I think she'd be fun. Uh-huh. Roxy rules. And so um there's a Mel- Mary Oliver quote that I love that when I was reading Roxy and I was taking notes for this, it reminded me of it. It's why I went and got grabbed my notebook. And the quote is, if she lives her life with all her strength, is she not wonderful and wise? And the thing about creating a character like Roxy is that everyone expects Roxy to be a mess. Mm -hmm. And Roxy isn't that fucking messy. Mm -mm. She is wonderful and wise. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I loved the idea, or I loved how you played with that idea of, yeah, no, she's great with her sexuality and she's comfortable with her sexuality and she likes sex. Right. That doesn't make her messy. Yes. It makes her human. Mm-hmm. And I wish that we had more people, because like so often in romance and in general, but especially in romance, the way you make someone seem messy mm-hmm. is that they are sleep around with a bunch of people. Right, right. And it's like a shortcut to get to messy. Yeah. Because it's something we all equate. Yeah. Right? Promiscuity is bad. Right. Even if it's with consent and it's and it's with, you know, mm-hmm. a clear understanding that we're just having fun. There's no promises. Mm-hmm. Especially from a woman. Right. I think it's a negative. Correct. It's something we see as a problem. And I tried to be intentional about when it's not that she's promiscuous quote unquote, I hate that word. 
It's not that she's free loving. It's when it impedes her responsibilities. Correct. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't, I didn't want to live in that space too long because I think it's more about how people perceive her exactly how you're saying, which is no one's going to take you seriously because we don't consider a person like this to be correct. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're living your life incorrectly. And I think I like I had a, a book where um, I had talked about sex work and I think everyone kept waiting for there to be a judgment attached and there were never was and not even about how people talked about even negative. So it's kind of like antagonists talked about it negatively. No, because it's like sometimes we consume this stuff and don't realize that we are part of shaping the narrative and uh-huh. it's like consenting adults. It is no failing or moral failing for you to do whatever it is you want with your body. Correct. And that's something I've very bit, I've been trying to be intentional about. It doesn't come up in in any store, many stories just because, you know, it would be the same hitting the same note all the time. But it's something that I think, especially as women, we are Uh not, or female identifying people, we are not allowed that kind of attitude towards sex and our own bodies. I could, we could talk to you for hours. Um, and we will. And, <laughs> yeah. Um, we have. Call me anytime. Yes. Okay. Let's get into it. JJ Arias, what are your big three albums and books? You can start with either one first. Don't matter. Okay. So here's the thing. Okay. I have followed the spirit of the question, if not the letter. Love it. <laughs> I respect it with my whole heart. Yes. With, in terms also, of the music. very mm. lawyer answer. And I'm loving I, this. You know? Mm-hmm. So I struggled, I think, from whenever we first talked to this morning. My wife's life is music. She feels so strongly about music and so passionately. And she almost didn't go out with me because I was like, meh, I can take it or leave it. I'm oh, glad no. she gave me a second chance because yeah. I kind of was like, no, I like what I like, but she's so adventurous. She really gets into it. Like she likes music theory, yeah. right? And I do not. So <laughs> we talked about this so long to get to like the core, like yeah. who I am mm-hmm. as a human being in music. Right, so right, right. What shaped me. So you guys uh-huh. gave me tremendous homework with this question. Correct. So my top three, and I'm going in chronological order in terms of shaping me and my psyche, and okay. is an artist. So mm-hmm. Celia Cruz is an Afro-Cuban uh, salsa, mostly salsa, I guess ballads too, but is mm-hmm. the... So, like the beacon of my music, right? My growing yeah. up in my house when we had parties, it is her. It is her voice. It is her aura. It is her spirit. Mm-hmm. And that is in my body. And I cannot not dance. And we listen to old salsa. I had a really hard time narrowing it down. It's like yeah. old salsa music is like, mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. the rhythm of my heartbeat, right? Oh, So... Her anything. I could not narrow it down to even a song. Um, Honestly, fair. Right? Yeah. It's just like, because it's the the essence of that entire, her Mm -hmm. being. Right? Um, And then, as I got a little older, I think the next song that was like, I could not 
I think I listened to it a bazillion times. We already talked about a League of Thrones. Was this used to be our playground, right? Oh yeah. I loved that movie and I did not realize why. And <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell is my queen and I had never felt like such a symbiosis, such a connection, such a reflection mm. of me, even uh-huh. if she's not Hispanic, mm-hmm. is I felt watching her, you, something about you is like me, and I don't know, my 10-year-old little heart doesn't know what it is, mm. but I love you, and I love all of these women coming together, and they're powerful together, and I love that movie so much, that song is like, it's such a part of my, you know, kind of existence right and it marks i think such a specific time in my life of yeah kind of starting to grow up and pick things for yourself mm-hmm. and i watched that movie every day for like three years hell no yeah. joke i put it on to go to bed every year oh. my little tape back in the day we had tape cassettes <laughs> <laughs> and my oh, yeah. little tv used to rewind by itself and start again and it was amazing Ooh. Um, well yeah fancy tv I, it was literally, it was this big. I don't even know how I could see it, but it did the thing where it got to the end, rewind itself. So, um, that song. And then I, I cannot be the only person who identified, but Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Yes. I think I had never <sighs> felt so seen as like, um, mm. I don't know what it would have been. I guess like young teenager, maybe. She's the first concert I ever went to. Hell yeah. Um, that's a damn good first concert. Mine yeah. was American Idol on tour with Clay Aiken. <laughs> In sickness Clay Aiken. Attached. Bless. Where's Clay Aiken now? I wonder. Oh. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Damn fabulous. <laughs> right? For sure. Um, and so I, every single song on that CD, I just was everything. I listened to it over and over again, over and over again. Um, and absolutely... I think very much, I, I felt, you know, as a very angsty teenager, mm. she felt what I was feeling, all the things. Yes. So, also, yeah. I love an artist who's unafraid to be weird. Oh, like yeah. to say weird shit and do weird shit. And yeah. I loved that album because I was like, yes, this is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. what I'm thinking. And I'm so scared to say. And I love that you just yeah. rhymed it. And no yeah. one else is saying it, right? No. Like, um, I can't remember, what is it? Perfect. You know, when she talks about, like, all these pressures and it's like, I'm not going to be this person. It's like mm-hmm. an angsty teenage girl. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So this oh. is just a sub thing. Have you listened to Guts by Olivia Rodrigo yet? No. My wife loves Olivia Rodrigo. Okay. So. I love her too. Olivia Rodrigo's Guts has Alanis Morissette uh, Jagged Little Pill vibes. So Ooh, if you're looking for an album. listen to it. Yeah. It's, well, they're very, um, well, I don't know, like, what the. You see, the thing about their relationship, because I know them on a personal level. <laughs> no, but they they did like the artist interview artists okay. together. So oh, I didn't know that. Rad. I, Olivia mm. Rodrigo is very nostalgic for and very appreciative of like a lot of Gen Zers of the 90s culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Alanis is a huge inspiration for that her. Is so that is cool. Rad. That is super rad. I didn't have and no idea. Picking that up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Alanis coming in like what isn't that was her debut album, it was right? Her debut album. I think so yeah, Grammy award winning mm-hmm. album, and that shit doesn't even rhyme. That shit does not rhyme. <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna come in and talk about being weird." It's like I'm just yeah. gonna feel my feelings, yeah, and man. it's going to start it a resonated. revolution. It yes. resonated Hell big time. Yeah. Oh my god, 
All right, genius. let's do books. Books. All right. Well, this took me forever. Um, so I am a, I am pathologically, um, empathetic Hmm. and I blame where the red fern grows. Oh my God. That fucking book. Trauma. Traumatized me. So that is filed under books Liz was assigned to read in school and And correctly did did not read it. (laughs) Correct. You would have cried. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm like, I I had forgotten about that book. And now that I'm thinking about it again, why are kids, why are we making kids read that? I think they don't anymore because we stopped traumatizing children. Just like our Disney movies were all traumatic, right? Oh my God. The mom's always dead in the beginning. Why? Always. Always. Horrible. Um, But I think it did. It taught me, I felt so much. And talk about not not having a personal identity to the character. You're talking about like a young, what was it in the, um, was it Appalachia? Yeah, it's in Appalachia Mountains. Right? And it's like an economically depressed, I think, right, area? Yeah. I don't remember. I have not read it, obviously, in yeah. like a bazillion years. And it's just like a little boy experiencing just life. Like, I think it's a little bit of slice of life. And then, um, you know, you feel everything that kid feels. And I think that had never happened to me as a kid. It was like, I lived that book. Mm. I, whenever I get a blister on my hand, I think about that book and that scene <laughs> where they're describing the blisters on his hand. That, right. That book I don't know. I don't know what he did, yeah. but it, oh, terrible. Please don't read it. Nobody go read that. This it's is so traumatic. This is different than when Anna Re- Hate recommended The Alchemist. The Alchemist. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is a, a, a heed uh, the warning. Heed the warning. Unless right. you're like need to sob, unless right. you need to be broken, then this is the, the book. Ugly cry. No, I, I have songs for that. I yeah. ugly <laughs> cry to songs all the time. Um, but amazing. I think it really did. Um, it imparted such a experience on me mm. mm-hmm. that I had never identified so much with. Again, someone I have no idea what it's like to live where he lives, experience what he lives. Or experience what he experienced. Um, but it was really good. The next book, I struggled with, uh, I was between Ruby Fruit Jungle, because it was the first, like, lesbian account mm-hmm. I ever read. But I think I was more, and I think I just read it because I was like, oh my God, this is the only store, uh, only book in this bookstore that has mm. a lesbian in it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to read it. Um, I was more affected by Valencia um, by Michelle T. Yeah. And I, I actually used to think it was a, fictional story until i looked it up and it's like memoir which i didn't yeah. realize very well written because i usually don't like memoir like that um or at least it doesn't usually grab me but this is like such a visceral super queer very hyper specific uh san francisco in the i want to say mid to early 90s mm-hmm. or maybe mid to late a, a very 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 queer environment with an aggressively queer storyline and it is messy and it is beautiful and it is written she writes a lot of poetry so it's very beautifully written um and it's just unapologetically itself mm-hmm. and it was the first time i had ever read that i had never read something like we've been talking about being sanitized being made for fit for mainstream consumption this is not this is this was my mm-hmm. experience read it if it you resonate if it doesn't resonate with you don't read it and I think yeah. it was so, and again, a, an experience I had never had, right? I never lived in San Francisco and, you know, had all these experience, but it was just this, her, like, I think it's like a year of her life in this scene, in this place, in this time with these group of people. 
and it was incredible like just so visceral good. Mm-hmm. really good and then the last one um I, I, let me look at the title so i don't get it wrong we came all the way from cuba so you could dress like this and it's by achi ovejas and she was the first lesbian she was born in cuba but she grew up in the united states mm-hmm. so obviously experiences are always a little bit different i was born here mm-hmm. um but it's the first representation and it's a collection of short stories and it's the first representation of a lesbian I, she identifies as a lesbian, Cuban, in a position to straddle both identities, where you oh. are I, straddling your Cuban identity, because it's a lot of like yeah. the Cuban diaspora experience, like, so you have mm-hmm. like why people left, you know, at different points. I think it's set in the 90s too, or maybe 2000, mm-hmm. um, and why sort of different reasons people left Cuba, mm-hmm. and her story of being like this gay woman in between worlds you never yeah. quite fit and it wasn't the gayness of it all as much it was really the yeah. being but i had never put, seen that put into words you just feel it but you don't know you feel it does that make sense right when yeah. you're like i'm not cuban enough for my family that's still in cuba but i'm not american i have mm-hmm. all this influence so it's like but i'm literally both you know so right. even she was born in cuba she came very very young so it's like the same kind of this two things yeah um like three I, different directions yes. of intersectionality right and the, yeah. but it, it was so just to me that's natural yeah. but i had never seen it kind of put in front of me like that right and you're just right like, oh wow yeah this is because all of my you know most of my friends are also cuban-american you know growing up you know as yeah. you get older obviously but like when you live in your little insular group everyone's kind of very similar you all live in the same mm-hmm. area you know we're a lot of Cuban American, now gay identifying. We didn't know then. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, where can we drawn to each other? Right? Find each Isn't other. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you're like of all the Christian schools in all the land. Here we are. Yeah, here we mm-hmm. are. Um, and we didn't know, right? But it's like that little something you kind of something you don't know you're picking up on. Um, but I had never, I had never experienced that reflected in such a specific way. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's good. Yeah. It's that. amazing how, like, as we were asking people this question and talking about it, so often the book is like, I needed to see myself, and this book showed me myself. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And we don't okay. even realize we're, we don't, I don't think you, we know we're looking for that. No, we don't. We're not that's reading what sticks. to, like, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, rarely am I opening a book being like, this is going to be the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need to think about, you know. Mm-hmm. You uh-huh. just, something draws yeah. you and that's what stays. Exactly. All right. We have one last silly game-ish I don't know thing. what you're talking about, silly. This is the most important it, question it, we're I mean, asking. Yes, it is. Is there a it winning? Is. is there a winner? Um, um, I think there's a right answer. Ooh, pressure. <laughs> okay. This is a fun game I like to call very creatively wife-girlfriend bang buddy. Ooh. It's my favorite twist on Kill, Fuck, Mary, but mm-hmm. we're, we're not here to kill anyone, y'all. I like that. Um, and it's a game that Macon and I would play with any author that has just like multiple books out there in the world, mm-hmm. sapphic romance authors. And if you couldn't guess, it is which of your characters would you want as a oh, wife, man. as a girlfriend, and as a bang buddy, as I think... All three of those things have different qualifications for me. They certainly do. Um, so we've, I mean, we're 
cheaters because I've thought about this already. I was you're say, put, yeah, you get you're to being, answer the question too. Oh, yep. oh we'll answer right. the question. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I will defend myself. I will, I will fight. <laughs> you're ready. Oh, I don't have that many notes. I just went again off of vibes, off of instinct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, that is so hard. Um, I think I would. What were my options? Girlfriend, wife? bang, wife? Yeah. I'd have to sleep with Roxy. <gasps> At least once, right? Like, you just kind of yes. be like, is it what it's all cranked out to be? Um, yeah. I think I would. I would love to have to explain glitter. You know what I'm saying? You know? Like, for yeah. real. Like, yeah. and it's there? How strange. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would date. You know what's great? When you forget a name of a character <laughs> you've invented. Raquel. Oh, my God. I almost said Rachel. Oh, that was another one. I called her Rachel many times throughout the draft. I had to edit that. So um, Raquel's girlfriend. Girlfriend. Is, okay. I think she'd be my girlfriend. Okay. I think I'd marry Lauren. Lauren. Gu- Lauren. I know. My wife and I call each other that constantly. Like, okay, oh. Lauren. Yeah. She she would absolutely be a great wife. She's really good wife material. Yeah. She has, like, a high threshold for nonsense. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, I should have gone first. This, this is this. Is what's happening right now? You're being is influenced. That when when you order last at the restaurant and someone else orders something, you're like, wait, shit, that sounds, like, that sounds good. good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Damn it. Okay. I I did change one answer, but okay. You have to tell me what the old one was and which change. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Megan, I want you to go. Nope, you're going first. No. Yes. No. I'm not. Now I'm nervous. You. Nope. You gotta okay. go first. She might want to change it again. Shit. Okay. <sighs> no, I got to hear the as close to the original as I can get. And if I say mine, it might. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not here for that. Okay, we need purity in the answer. Oh. Wife, I chose Raquel. Mm, okay, good choice. Um, I again off of vibes. Maybe I want my age gap romance. That's what I've told myself. <laughs> um, I, except I, it was all for it. it. It was really sad the other day. I told Megan. Oh my God, I feel bad about this every time you fucking talk about I it. I was like, I want my next romance to be an age gap romance. And she goes, well, which one are you? Are you going to be? It has changed on me. I was and like. And I don't like it. I have aged out of being the obvious younger me, one me? in an age gap. <laughs> it's a sad day when you realize you're it the older is. woman. You're like, yes. wait, no, hold the phone. I'm I was sorry, like, Megan, what? I do not want to date a 20-year-old. That Correct. is a child. Correct. That's anyway. why this lives in fantasy better than it does in yeah. real life. Uh, certainly. Um, I just think Raquel is sexy as hell. Oh my god. Um, I know. The set their first sex scene, I phone sex scene a hundred percent in my top three sex scenes ever. But their first sex scene is seared into my brain. The image of <laughs> When she's like, I'm going to break out a move I haven't in years in reverse cowgirl. <laughs> it's in there. I'm going to kill it you. It lives. Yeah. <laughs> lives yeah. rent free. Yeah. Uh, Ditto. Uh, okay. So wife, Raquel. Girlfriend, I put Taylor. And because I'm so in love with them as a couple, <laughs> I just need them the most. She was my original answer. But then I changed it to Roxy because oh. I think for my girlfriend answer, it's always like, who would be fun and we'd get along mm-hmm. and we'd have a great time. But like with Roxy, 
she is a pop star and she would be and we'd be traveling a lot and so yeah. like so you like long term like, I, I don't see know her when work. I see her yeah. yeah and then but also we would have fun we'd go mm-hmm. to Paris we yeah, would man. do all these things anyway Roxy sorry Taylor you got bumped um <laughs> she's all right with it my bang buddy is Fabiola from Body Check ooh and here's wow, okay. why. <laughs> I have a body check answer for Bang Buddy too. Okay. Ooh. Here is why. That's a thrill. outside of my feelings. Um, one girl could toss me around. Right. She's buff yeah. as fuck. Oh yeah. Um, two, she, I'm, she's not gonna be a girlfriend or wife because yeah. I know she's gonna want to go work out, and I don't want to do time. that. I don't want to <laughs> do that. I will see you for fun reasons, and right. that's it. Um, All right. Yes, would like to. Lick her abs. Take it away, Macon. I co-sign. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, girlfriend Lauren. <laughs> hey. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I just, I like her vibe. I think she's rad. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. ultimately I am too laid back for her, for us to ever have like a long-term thing because we'd mm. both be like, nah, all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Go with the flow. Okay. Yeah. Nothing ever happens. Um, it's fine. Someone needs to make a decision here. <laughs> and we're not going to. Right. Um, <laughs> but you'll be so happy. Yeah. We'll be chilling. No. Um, wife Taylor. Mm. Ooh. <sighs> I would come over for dinner parties and mm-hmm. just lust after your wife. <laughs> and I would welcome it. <laughs> like, um, I know, right? I just, she's so... <laughs> I need you to be nice to me so bad. Mm-hmm. And she's so... She's so kind. Kind. Yeah. So kind. And like, without making a show of it, without making a big deal yeah. about it, just the kindest soul. And yeah. I need that. Um, now, Bang Buddy, I changed it to Bang Buddies. Oh. And Fab and Cameron. All right. Hands down. All day. Let's go. <laughs> I want to be in the middle of that yeah, so man. bad. You, you won the game. I didn't think I there did. would be a winner. You won. Yep. Ugh. Clear um, winner. Because, holy shit. Like, and honestly, I uh, throw me around. Don't throw me around. Let me get you some water. I just want to be involved. <laughs> I just want to be part of this. <laughs> Like, yeah, want to be in the room exactly. Uh So good. Oh, anyway, so yeah, so those are my answers. This is great. It's funny you said that about Taylor because the best compliment I got about that book was that I can't remember exactly how they said it, but it's like I didn't know kindness could be sexy as fuck. Yes, and I was like, it is either. But it's like it's like you someone who treats other people so gently. It's Mm. but it's not a pushover. Is not Mm -hmm. like and. And not, like, kind to be kind. Kind mm-hmm. because it's who she is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, yeah. and just, like, gentle. Mm-hmm. And, like, okay, that's weird, but fine. <laughs> well, because I think you're in love with her the whole time, but then you're yeah. in love with her, like, fully tip over when you see her take care of Raquel's The magic dad. of yeah. that novel Ugh, is you yeah. fall in love with Taylor as Raquel falls in love with yes. Taylor. Your yes. feelings about Taylor are Raquel's yeah. feelings about Taylor. And when it hits that moment, yeah. you're like, and like, as a reader, I was like, oh, I'm in love with her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Taylor, I'm Me sorry too. I bumped you. Yeah, I know. Oh, you right. should feel bad. Look, you should have thought about it like Macon did and said, <laughs> I'm picking two. Yes, just all of the above. Look, right? I feel like invite you them all because over because they're together. So it's just like, hey, can I come over for dinner? And also, can yeah. we not have clothes? Okay. On? Well, now right. that I know that we can do this, it will change my answer <laughs> for future episodes. Um, JJ, 
Thank you so, so much. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for being here. This is seriously the highlight, my year, (laughs) my life, dream come true. Um, Before we go, if you want to plug anything or where the people can can find find you, all of that stuff. Yeah. Thank you so much. Honestly, this has been entirely too much fun. Um, I loved it. Thank you. You guys are amazing. And I can't wait to continue to listen to your podcast. It is oh, so good, and I can't wait to discover even more people um, that you guys love and bring on because I think you bring something so special to this space that thank was missing. You so much. So thank you, thank you. I love it. Keep doing the Lord's work, doing Same, all the sapphic things. Y- yeah, so, you as well. I appreciate, it. and also with you. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> and go with this. <laughs> uh, yeah, check out Losing Control if you want to read something. I think it's, it's a so good start y'all. to the series. There's mm-hmm. a uh, short story you can pick up if you're a member of my newsletter, jjarias.com, and uh, you get a very interesting scene with Roxy, but not with Adriana. JJ Arias is the best. Yeah, the factual best. Factual best. Yeah. Goat <laughs> status here. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, All right. everyone, Thanks, for y'all. listening. Bye. Bye, buddy. Get into it.